G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. Around Australia and the world at large, large gatherings of workers have celebrated May Day, the Day of Workers' Solidarity. So today we thought we would give you a great story of workers organising together to get better conditions and wages in an unlikely setting where casualisation and general disenchantment with their union had given the workers a sense of hopelessness. We follow this with a speech given at the Melbourne May Day celebrations held on May the 5th by a speaker from Friends of the Earth, as it seems more and more obvious environmental destruction means a no-jobs future. We also get the chance to hear from a great visiting hip-hop group, Rebel Diaz, who wowed the crowd in Melbourne with their version of the workers' classic, Which Side Are You On? But first, some union news. From New South Wales, in early April, a monumental struggle to retain the principle that guarantees permanent jobs was won by workers at Port Kembla Coal Terminal who have retained the job security provisions they were fighting for, marking the end of a protracted and bitter industrial dispute with the South 32 management team. Negotiations have dragged on since 2015. The key sticking point was management's insistence that job security provisions preventing permanent employees being replaced by contractors doing the same work, be removed from the new enterprise agreement. The dispute reached a peak this year with management locking workers out for the past 50 days straight. CFMEU Mining and Energy Southwestern District Vice President Bob Timms said the win was vindication for workers who stood up for their rights. I am proud of the way workers stood and fought for their right to a secure job. I am grateful for the way the Illawarra community and Labor politicians stood around them and for the incredible support we got from the South Coast Labor Council, the Maritime Union and other unions, Mr Timms said. Without this battle, Port Kembla coal terminal workers face being sacked and replaced with contractors. For months, management insisted job security was off the table, so workers needed to fight. I just wish South 32 hadn't made it necessary. The members said no to mining companies' push for cheaper outsourced labour and won. Another piece of good news in the fight for permanent secure jobs out of Canberra was reported in mid-April. From the 1st of January next year, all of Canberra schools' cleaners will be directly employed by the government. Gone will be the use of contractors, which has seen school cleaners subjected to precarious employment as different contractors vied for the cleaning contracts. For years, the ACT public school cleaners have been campaigning for decent, secure jobs and direct employment. The cleaners have been employed precariously by contractors 
Many of those contractors have engaged in wage theft, exploitation and unsafe practices. And every few years, the cleaners need to apply for their own jobs when the contracts change. With the return to direct employment by the Education Department, Union ACT Secretary Alex White says the cleaners will have a job they can count on and they won't need to worry any more about dodgy contractors, wage theft or losing their job. Karen Love, one of the school cleaners who has been in this fight for years, said when she found out that she was going to become a permanent employee, What great news you gave me. I went home after work and sat on my lounge and took a deep breath and burst into tears. It's a bit silly, but it's been a long, hard 11 years working with bosses that degraded us, ripped us off and stole our annual leave, sick leave and long service leave. Plus, they tried to steal our pride. Just knowing that we have finally been seen and heard from the government with help from United Voice, finally hit me yesterday. School cleaners now have hope for a better working environment and hope for a better future. Alex White said, This is a truly fantastic win and it shows that when we stand together, when we fight for dignity and respect, we win. And all through the last few years, the Canberra community has supported our school cleaners in their fight. Lack of knowledge and or controls over dangerous substances is causing headaches as infrastructure projects are underway. Over the last week, the CFMEU Victorian Tasmanian branch has made a public announcement about the dangers of mounds of PFAS mixed with asbestos that are lining Footscray Road, Melbourne, a major arterial road from the city to the western suburbs. The release says thousands of tonnes of toxic soil around Footscray Road is loosely covered in black plastic, yet the dust continues to blow through the suburb as workers, residents and passers-by are left in the dark, unaware of the health issues it poses. The PFAS and asbestos-infested soil is a carcinogenic nightmare for workers who have been threatened with the sack if they speak out. Management at the John Holland and CPB Joint Venture, once again, say that there is nothing to see here, the CFMEU say. PFAS is a person-made group of chemicals which has been used as a fire retardant. In terms of risks to health, scientists are elevating their studies of the group of chemicals known collectively as PFAS, which increase risk of cancer, kidney disease, thyroid conditions and autoimmune disorders. The chemicals can also increase cholesterol and interfere with the body's natural hormones. The CFMEU released the following video. So we're here at Footscray Road, Westgate Tunnel Project. If you live in the area, you drive past the area for the last six months, you would have been driving up and down the road and you would have seen all this material. All this material covered in black plastic Basically what it is, it's a hazardous carcinogenic material called PFAS. In the EU, there's 180 countries, out of those 180 countries, 171 of the countries have banned this chemical. What the chemical was used for, it was used for firefighters to put out fires years ago. In this area in particular, this was a highly hazardous area. This is where the Cootie Island fires were. 
and basically the chemical was the foam. When the fire brigades used to use the foam to put out the fires, the PFAS was in that chemical. Come, come today, the fire brigade, it's been banned in Australia, and the fire brigade, they don't use it anymore. They've decontaminated it out of all their plant and all of, all of their hoses, all of their tools. But coming on to this job, John Holland, CPB, they haven't been able to get rid of the material. It's been sitting here for six months. They've been moving it from spot to spot. We've been in talking with them for the last six months, obviously educating ourselves on it, researching ourselves on it. And basically the conclusion we've come to and the information that we've got, there is no safe level of PFAS, right? So what we've been saying to CPB John Hollands is, listen, we don't know what it is. You just don't know how safe it is, how safe it isn't. We've been asking them to put the highest level of safety in. PPE, obviously, with a mask, glasses, suits. And they basically went, no, we're not doing any of that. There's superintendents here as well that back us and say, listen, we should be dealing with this here with the highest level of safety possible. On top of that, like this whole area, like we've been in here from the start, there's asbestos everywhere, right? There's been no signage for the PFAS. There's been no control for the PFAS. There's been no procedure for the PFAS. And the same goes for the asbestos. Hello, Stick Together listeners. Rebecca here. On Friday, April 19th, I attended Marxism 2019, where I heard a very inspiring worker's story that we'd like to share with you. Kat works for Lynn Fox and is the lead delegate for the National Union of Workers at a factory in Sydney. She has a great story of organising workers at the factory as they fought for a pay rise. So let's hear from Kat. All right, well, for the last two years, um, I've been working at a warehouse owned by Lynn Fox. Um, and I found myself in um, one of the more improbable situations for a socialist today, um, which was that I ended up as the lead delegate at the main warehouse um, for organising the logistics of the Australian military. <laughs> um, so I'm going to tell you a little about, a little about the fight um, that we had for a pay rise and try to draw out a few basic lessons that I think are worth discussing. And I'm not going to claim that these are all original or groundbreaking lessons. The first of them Alma just said to you. So what was it? Every grievance is Every an organising organizing opportunity. Um, even the smallest thing... The second thing that I learnt, though, was, yeah, like, of course, use the small things, but you do also have to know what's important, which is money. And the bosses know it's money. If we don't too, as unionists, we lose our credibility, and I think we lose our whole purpose. And the last thing, well, the third main lesson, that we can't expect the union leadership to adopt a fighting stance, but constantly pushing them to do it is really, really crucial. Well, when I started working at Linfox, the union situation was bleak. Like, I'd landed there kind of accidentally from the labour hire circuit. You don't know where you're going to land for a job. Um, I didn't know that I was being deployed to the army base in Sydney. Like, of all of the sort of god-awful industries that exist under capitalism, mm -hmm. constant um, parable um, for how, I guess, in our most difficult times in the union, I sort of could remind myself that, well, we don't always get to work in the circumstances of our own choosing. Um, the union was the National Union of Workers, the NUW, and unfortunately they were really widely hated. They were held responsible for having signed a cut rate agreement where people had lost between $100 and $200 a week in wow. pay. 
Um, yeah, you gasp. That was actually the second time that they had lost that much in the last couple of decades. Because it's one of Australia's many former public service jobs that now go through a cycle of contracting out um, and wage cuts. Just as I started working there, almost everyone resigned from the union. They joined the TWU, the Transport Workers' Union, instead, which sort of might have been fine, except that after signing up a bunch of members, the TWU decided that they wouldn't ever visit the site again. So management had, like, every reason to feel self-assured. It was only one year until our agreement was up for renegotiation, and we were almost just totally hopelessly unorganised. We had two unions, and hardly anyone was in either of them. We could have cried or felt despaired, quite rightfully. But as it turned out, work under capitalism constantly provides new opportunities for uniting against the boss. And I think that that's a really important lesson because a lot of the time people are too demoralised to keep their eyes open to it. But as socialists, we really have to be. And I was actually still getting to know people's names. Um, When management um, announced that we would no longer be able um, to collect our yearly swipe cards on company time anymore. It was quite a small issue. Um, We had been allowed until then 30 minutes each year to go and collect our swipe cards um, from the army barracks next door. Um, But this change happened in the sort of job where like unpaid overtime is still considered to be a real sin. So the idea that we would have to do that in our own time, um, it caused this sort of absurd moment where people were like stomping their feet and saying, somebody has to call the union. Um, But looking around, nobody was in it. Um, except for me, um, the newest person there. Um, So I did it. Um, I got the NEW in for a meeting, um, and I was quite concerned when only five people showed up. Um, Things were still in a very difficult situation. Um, But it really provided the first opportunity for any organising. Those five people that turned up, we organised a petition together, and... It meant that we could go all around the site um, on this incredibly popular issue, um, find out who was who on site, who might be an ally, where all the social networks lay, and who could get things happening. And also, it really importantly established that there is a union here, and management can't just... um, It doesn't matter about the union, it's about us. Um, We're still here, and we're united. We have a purpose against the company, and the company can't just do anything without um, expecting a reaction from its workers. Um, And I think we really just totally shocked the company that anything union was happening at all. Um, So we were able to win the issue quite easily and they backed down. Um, I was also elected a delegate, um, or the delegate at that point. Um, And some people did have a bit of a friendly laugh at my unlikelihood um, as a person to represent um, against management, being sort of really small and female, um, and most of the older workers um, still mistook me for being a teenager. Um, I have to sort of like constantly drop it into conversation that I was 30. (laughs) 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 Um, um, But one of the tricky things was that management really learnt to tiptoe once we had a union presence again. So one manager um, really shamefully punished this single mother um, for being five minutes late in the middle of a family crisis. Um, like, she was crying in the middle of the warehouse and the old men were coming to me like, please do something. It was, like, an appalling situation. Um, but the manager responsible, like, after I went and represented her in mediation, he was clearly raked over the hot holes because when I went back into the office, the manager was the one crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
management gave us that sort of magic treatment that workers must only get in the lead up to a pay claim. Um, because we desperately needed a real pay, pay rise to claw back what had been lost. Um, that was our goal that we set, and with a lot of work, we crept our membership up from a low of 10% of the, the share um, to just shy of 60% by the time the EBA expired. Unfortunately, um, the attitude of the union was that people needed to forget about their old pay rates and lodge what they considered to be a realistic pay claim. So they made a survey asking people what they wanted, and you could tick either 3%, 3.5% or 4%. Um, well, the results of my site were almost entirely write-ins of 5% or 6%, um, which you think that the union might take seriously. Mine was the biggest and most important site in a national agreement. We had 140 workers there, while another 400 were scattered around the country across 15 different sites, various sizes. However, when we met up nationally, mine was the only site that had put forward an ambitious pay claim. So I got chastised for providing the wrong answer. <laughs> anyway, whatever we went for, negotiations with the company inevitably broke down because they wanted us on even less. Um, and we got faced with the basic question of how far are you going to take your action? And the truth was that we really had to gun for a strike or we'd get nothing. Unfortunately, though, the... The membership was really robbed of a chance um, to vote on what we'd do. We won our ballot for industrial action, but the ballot was organised so that we could only vote yes or no to the whole slate of actions, from uniform bans to indefinite strike, with no way to preference what you actually wanted to do. That decision was reserved for the delegates. So a dozen of us from around the country would meet up. But... I think that the delegates were almost in totally bound to feel less confident about our strength because they were being asked to make decisions on what um, we do on behalf of the membership who'd never been asked. So the union argued for their part to start small um, by putting on our union hats at work. The company counted that we'd have to remove ourselves from defence land um, if we did that because political clothing was banned on Commonwealth ground. So the lesson was that starting small actually meant that we were put on the defensive instead of giving a strong lead. But in the situation, the union decided, go with this. And the argument was won, put on, um, to put on our union hats and walk out. I think that an honest assessment, I have to say that this was an action that was not designed to cause actual industrial um, disruption. Members were told that we could stay off the job for as long or as short as we liked, that people could come back in at all different times to each other and that going out for 15 minutes was just as good as going out for a day, which was all like pretty appalling stuff. It was still the greatest upset that the company received, I will grant that, it, and it was in its moment, um, this really fantastic flawed exercise in intrigue against the company, trying to get everyone to get up and walk out. Natural leaders did assert themselves and arguments were carried out on the floor in spontaneous sort of reaction to um, the company's manoeuvres against us. So that's why I've show, um, passed around the sort of high point of our walkouts. But it was also the case that we were abandoned by the union. They argued that the action needed to be done in total secrecy so that they couldn't help us build it in any way. Over three walkouts, half my site had walked off the job. This was actually really impressive, considering everything. But sadly, um, half the site walking off is not enough. And in fact, some good people did still stay inside, um, seeing that the union wasn't serious. Management threatened redundancies, and then the original argument about how much pay we were going for became important, because it really just didn't make sense for people to risk their jobs um, when the payout 
um, had already been accepted as being so small. So um, sadly, um, the campaign did wrap up with a 0.1% increase on the original offer and a $1,000 sign-on bribe. This was hailed as a victory by the union. Mm. <laughs> um, and sadly, um, worst of all, um, the rumour that the union was in the company's pocket started up again. Because like, how else could people understand them hailing this as a win? Um, as an aside, um, it was this really excellent and hardening experience being a delegate um, at a blue-collar workplace. Um, especially after my background, which was in marriage equality campaigning, which was always sort of softer around the edges. I think that if you can find a role at work that allows you to hone your fighting skills, then I'd say take it up. As a delegate, especially in a blue-collar workplace, I think people um, bump you with fairly healthy expectations, you know, that you can't back down or you'll let everyone down. In fact, I became widely respected at work because... Um, I defied people's expectations um, by standing my ground and insisting on my right as a delegate to organise across the entire workplace um, during work time. I had entirely new experiences uh, in dealing with all kinds of management psychopaths. Um, and more than once, I had the surprising experience of seeing management trembling while talking to me. Um, on the substantial matters, it is true that we were trounced. Um, on a more uplifting side, almost every one of my workplaces uh, workmates expressed at one point or another a really heartfelt desire to unite and seriously go out together. Um, we never quite managed it, but the legacy of trying it all was an ongoing argument, even after we lost, that this was what we needed to do to win. You're listening to Stick Together, the only national program covering workers' stories and union news. With the fear of changing climate and the need to think about new ways of doing things, the May Day organisers in Melbourne welcomed Friends of the Earth's Act on Climate spokesperson Lee Eubank to express some of the elements of a Green New Deal. G'day everyone. Um, just quickly, before I have a yarn with anyone, I'd like to just get a sense of who I'm talking to. So just put your hand up. Climate change is a pretty big issue. You've heard of it? Yeah, yeah. Solar power. You'd love a solar panel on your roof? A battery in your backyard? Now keep your hands up if you think the federal coalition are doing enough on climate change. Exactly. So at the moment... <laughs> at the moment, we've got a couple of really big issues happening in Australia when it comes to climate change. Obviously, we've had a a pretty extreme summer. We've seen the mass deaths of fish in the uh, Darling River. We've had bushfires in Tasmania, in parts of the country that have never seen a bushfire before. And um, closer to home, down in Inverloch, we've got some extreme coastal erosion where the community has seen 36 metres of the coast disappear over the last five years, and it's getting worse. So nationally, there is the big touchstone issue that we're all aware of, the Adani mine, and everyone's working to stop that one dead in its tracks. And closer to home in Victoria, we also have a, a, an issue. So if, if the Adani mine is to go ahead, it will pump out 79 megatons of carbon emissions a year. Back in 2015, Victoria pumped out 119 megatons. So we actually have to 
really lift our game here in Victoria and make sure that we're reining in emissions and really looking after the, the communities that are on the front line of those impacts. And over the last few years at Friends of the Earth, we have actually got a successful track record. So over the last few years, we've um, mobilised 79 communities across regional Victoria to win the first permanent ban on fracking and unconventional gas anywhere in Australia. How good is that? So we're building momentum. We've also, in, in collaboration with a lot of our friends in the union movement, secured a Victorian renewable energy target of 40% by 2025 and 50% by 2030. Another amazing outcome, worthy of a bit of applause. Come on. 10,000 jobs in the renewable sector. And on that momentum, we're, we're now shifting our attention to the first ever emissions reduction targets that will be announced by the Andrews government for 2025 and 2030. If we're going to put Australia back on track when it comes to cutting emissions and tackling climate, we really do need to see targets that are bold and ambitious, and we need to see the government really ramp up and invest in the climate solutions that we need. So, you know, we have a little less than 11 months to do it. Um, we need to see targets that are based on the science and we need to make sure that the government is really reining in these big corporations that are um, polluting and destroying the planet, often the same corporations that aren't paying their fair share of tax and that are also ripping off workers. So, um, Friends of the Earth, we stand with the union movement. We stand with you to change the rules when it comes to workers' rights um, and we're asking for a bit of support to change the rules and make sure that we're actually dealing with climate change and um, securing a safe planet and safe environment for everyone. So thank you very much. Happy May Day. That's it for Stick Together. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 My name's Annie McLaughlin. We'll go out with Rebel Diaz's hip-hop version of Which Side Are You On? We'll come represent Chicago, the South Bronx, Chile, Puerto Rico and more importantly what we come is sharing the worker experience, the immigrant experience, the refugee experience, and all of those that have been marginalized by this capitalist society. Today, we want to be clear on which side we own. This was a song originally written by a woman by the name of Florence Reese when she was supporting a miners' strike in the Appalachian Mountains, and it's become an anthem for workers throughout the years. It was Pete Seeger's birthday recently. He did a remix. We felt it'd be proper if we do a hip-hop remix. This is Which Side Are You On? This is dedicated for all the workers celebrating May Day, International Workers' Day, International Workers' Struggle. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. We still put our fist up like that. We feel that power when we put that fist up. That's the power of history and struggle. Let's go. 
See, I got to draw the line. I can't take it no more. If you ain't down with revolution, what you waiting for? Making money for suckers in our communities poor. Ripping flags off of coffins, man, this ain't our war. Colonized and terrorized by the world's biggest killers. The U.S. government, the biggest weapon and drug dealers. For the prisons with children, incarcerating the future. MySpace and Facebook had stuck on computers. Stuck on stupid bumping music that's abusive to the shorties. And not just that they spitting, we just listen and absorb it. I've been doming, I've been walking, I'm a giant, I'm ready. With the aqua, we're hot for every hold of machete. I ride car like Palestinian children holding slingshots. Shots. With every single kid that's down for hip hop. Hey, the culture, hey. the life, hey. what it really stands for. This music is resistance, it's the voice of the poor. On the side of the workers, the teachers, and lunch ladies. On the streets of brown mommies raising our brown babies. I'm with youth organizers cleaning up the Bronx River. Kite Miskalanta when I stand and deliver. I'm with Evan Morales, man, he running Bolivia. Distribution of the land so we can all live bigger. I'm with Hugo and Fidel, Grandmaster and Melly Bell. With the Panthers up in Queens. Justice for Sean Bell. With Camacho Negron. Hey. With Ojeda Rios. Come on. Freedom for Oscar Lopez. Time to get an appeal. With a boo Jamal. With a side of Shakur. With the compass and a mocalite and a plenty more. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? The South Bronx. Yeah, which side are you on? Con Venezuela. Yeah, which side are you on? Con Palestina. Yeah, which side are you on? I'm with the workers. Which side are you on? Trabajadores. Which side are you on? Con las mujeres. Which side are you on? Now I'm for telling the truth. Exposing the lies. Think about them dead soldiers when you're driving your ride. The people die for the oil and daddy bushes revenge. I'm with the widows, the children, and, and the, the lowly best friends. My family staying together as one. I'm not for the raids or the deportations. I'm with Victor Toro and the MIR. So watch out for them snitches in the Amar car. And for Lil Salito, we gon' fight for your wrongs. So we gon' shout around twice in one song. I'm for 12 million workers in the Viano for a world without borders and a better tomorrow, better tomorrow.